0: Oh, you faithful remnant, it is good. (laughs) It is good to see your faces. Those of you watching at home, Happy New Year. We're we're missing you here. In the sacristy in the mornings before we come in for the service, we always say a little prayer to center ourselves. This morning at 8 o'clock, it was just me and Matthew in the sacristy before the service, cold, huddled in our masks. And Matthew always prays some of the best prayers this morning. He, you know, the Lord be with you and also with you. Let us pray. It's this, you know, priestly moment we share before we go in. Oh, Holy One open our hearts as we prepare to worship you in the beauty of this new year. Ugh, <laughs> he said. <laughs> and I thought, uh-huh, that's kind of how I feel about this new year, too. We're in the, in the middle of something, it seems. Maybe the, in the middle of a big something. And it's, it's kind of hard to know how it will all come out, right? Make no long-term plans. I've been told just figure out how to make it through for the time being. The time being is kind of where we're living right now. It's more than enough. And the time being is kind of where we find the characters of the Christmas story in Matthew's Gospel this morning. The wise men, the magi, magoi in Greek, these ancient astronomers who arrive on the scene maybe a couple years late. And yet when they see that star stop, Matthew says, when they see the star stop, they are overwhelmed with joy. Literally, the Greek here is they rejoice with a big joy, right? Mega joy is, is one way to think about this phrase. It's the same phrase that the angel uses to, uh, to the shepherds in the, in the Annunciation scene, right? Behold, I bring you glad tidings of great joy. Same word there, mega joy is the, is the way we name this experience. And that is the experience we're chasing as we watch the stars and the seasons, we watch for the signs of the time. There's a reason that we sing joy to the world around this time of year. You are going about your business, you're herding your recalcitrant sheep, studying your ancient star maps, you're an office worker in your cubicle, you're a, a supermarket checker in your, on your feet, you're a gas station attendant maybe, you're an academic in your library, you're going about your day, you're working away focused on the immediate task. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, everything changes in an instant. That's the experience that these stories are describing. The vision appears, and it fills you with an experience of overwhelming, unutterable joy, mega joy in Greek. There is, there is no better phrase to describe this thing. And then what? What happens? after the wise men pack up their camels and their star maps and start their long journey back home? What happens to the shepherds who run away clicking their heels? What happens the next day, the day after the miracle, the morning that you wake up expecting that everything will be different and instead everything is exactly as it was? Psychologists call it the post-Christmas blues. The English poet, W.H. Auden, wrote a whole epic poem about it. It's his Christmas oratorio for the time being. Uh, Many of you know this this poem because it's become kind of one of our Trinity Cathedral traditions to read it on the Feast of the Epiphany. I preach about it just about every year because I love it so much. Auden was writing in the middle of the Second World War. He was in exile from his home in Great Britain, deep in grief, following the death of his mother and the, the revelation that the man he considered to be his husband had been cheating on him and in the afterglow of an intense conversion to Christianity. Auden had grown up in a kind of you know, socially permissible, kind of Christmas and Easter British Anglicanism, uh, but then had this kind of intense reconversion experience. And his meditation on the incarnation For the Time Being is, is filled with a kind of convert's fervor, also with a kind of a modernist's deep skepticism about religious experience and also with a grieving son's profound sense of loss. This is the, the post-Christmas blues with a vengeance in Auden's poem. What happens after the vision of the manger, once the angel's song has faded? What happens to the magi once they walk back in the front door at home and have to face their angry families? Auden writes, for those who have seen the child, however dimly, however incredulously, the time being, is in a sense, the most trying time of all. For the innocent children who whispered so excitedly outside the locked door where they knew the presence to be, grew up when it opened. And now, recollecting that moment, we can repress the joy, but the guilt remains conscious, remembering the stable, where for once in our lives, everything became a you, and nothing was an it. I expect more than a few of us in this room have had some version of that experience. Maybe it's a distant memory, maybe it was a flash, maybe a a longing for something. I think sometimes these moments come out of longing, remembering the stable, where for once in our lives, everything became a you, and nothing was an it. We have seen his star. That's how the wise men describe it in Matthew's Gospel. We have seen his star. We saw it for ourselves. We know it was real. Maybe we experienced that moment in the arms of a lover, in the embrace of a child, uh, on a hilltop somewhere, surrounded by families. Maybe it was a, a wedding, a funeral, a baptism. Most likely, I suspect it's a moment that had nothing to do with church. And maybe we forgot about it as soon as it had passed us by. But somewhere, somehow, our bodies recall those moments of mega-joy. Because properly understood, the Christian idea of joy actually has nothing to do with feeling happy. A, little, a literal definition of joy, kara in Greek, would be something like a deep awareness of God's grace. That's what we go looking for when we go looking in our lives for moments of mega-joy, the moments when the lights are turned on and if only for an instant we are shocked into a deep awareness of grace. And there is a cost to experiencing that vision. Auden seems to be saying there's a there's a consequence that comes on the other side of experiencing the stable. However, and whenever that stable moment comes, we can repress the joy. We've actually gotten pretty good at repressing the joy. But the guilt remains conscious. That's what Auden's wrestling with in his poem, and wrestle he does over many pages, each character speaking in turn, often at great length, about the ongoing effects that the birth of the Christ child has brought into her or his life. Not all of those consequences are pretty. There is great joy, surely. There is also great pain and great suffering, and no more so than for the characters who have the most to lose. It's the powerful ones, the ones whose, whose lives and commitments and most deeply cherished beliefs are threatened by the mega joy that this child brings into the world. Grace, grace actually is a threat if the consequence of that grace is, you know, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. That's what this child will someday say to the rich man, to every rich person. That's you and me, some of the wealthiest people this world has ever known. Sell all of it, none of it matters. None of it it matters in the context of grace. And more to the point, all of the stuff, all of the wealth and the power and the privilege can only serve to get in the way of the, the mega joy, the deep joy that comes not through accumulating stuff, but letting it go. So in Auden's poem, as in Matthew's gospel, nobody is more threatened by joy than King Herod. He, in Auden's poem, he's not the, the tyrannical villain of scripture, his, Auden's Herod is basically kind of a good guy. He's a, a mid-level government functionary who has dedicated his life to public service. He's been serving the common good and is finally seeing some results, right? He says, you know, soft drinks and sandwiches may now be had in the inns at reasonable prices. Allotment gardening has become popular. The highway to the coast goes straight up over the mountains and truck drivers no longer carry guns. Things are beginning to take shape. In the well-ordered world of social cohesion, the child born in a manger actually does represent a pretty profound threat. Auden's Herod has spent his life trying to do away with superstition and barbarism and replace it with reason and order, and there is nothing more threatening to him than this, this whiff of magic, the whiff of desire, which is to say a whiff of grace. He says today, apparently, judging by the trio who came to see me this morning with ecstatic grins on their scholarly faces, the job has been done. God has been born, they cried. We have seen him ourselves. The world is saved. Nothing else matters. And Herod says one needn't be a psychologist to realize that if this rumor is not stamped out now, in a few years, it will will be capable of diseasing the whole empire. And one doesn't have to be a prophet To predict the consequences if it should reason will be replaced by revelation instead of rational law knowledge will degenerate into a riot of subjective visions naturally herod says naturally this cannot be allowed to happen civilization must be saved even if it means sending for the military as i suppose it does and with a sigh of regret and even frustration he says i'm a liberal i just want everybody to be happy And he sends for his guards, and every male child under the age of two is slaughtered. And Matthew insists this is the consequence. This is the consequence of God's coming among us, which is that joy, properly understood, is actually a threat to every well-ordered civilization that cannot create room for the social consequences of profound grace we can repress the joy. The guilt remains conscious because none of us, from Herod on down, none of us are capable of living full-time in the stable, right? We're not meant to. We live down here. We're in the middle of something, in the, the space between the glory of the vision and the consequences of what that vision will mean, which is to say we're waiting. And if the past few years are any indication, we're we're waiting in the midst of great anxiety and no small amount of danger these are perilous days and the consequences of what we have experienced and then what's going to be asked of us in the end all of that remains unclear so be careful with the vision because the vision can scar you Be careful with the Christmas magic. It has power to change your life. If you've ever been in love, you already know this, right? Love is the greatest thing in the world and it ruins everything. (laughs) And yet you wouldn't have it any other way, would you? We have seen his star. That's what the wise men say. We have seen his star. That vision changed everything. And so for those who have seen the vision, however dimly, however incredulously, the time being remains the most trying time of all as we sort through all the consequences of what we have seen and then try to figure out how to go about living our lives on the other side of the mega joy that changed everything and left us breathless in its wake. That's what the incarnation, I think, is all about when you get down to it, that God comes into the world not as an all-powerful, magical being, but as a child who causes nothing but pain and suffering, because what that child brings is not an idea, but an experience of love. So that becomes the place where we learn to seek and find divinity right we we do it with our masks on we do it in the middle of everything not looking romantically to the past or holding our breath to see how it all turns out but in the middle in the midst of it seeking God not in glory but in boredom not in exaltation but in our everyday anxiety not in certainty but in wonder Auden concludes his poem with a blessing. I think it's a blessing for each one of us who have been changed by the vision and still struggle down here to understand what we're supposed to do with it, how to, how to make it through the everyday in the midst of such uncertainty. Auden says, he is the way. Follow him through the land of unlikeness. You will see rare beasts and have some unique adventures. He is the truth. Seek him in the kingdom of of anxiety. You will come to a great city that has expected your return for years. He is the life. Love him in the world of the flesh. And at your marriage, all its occasions will dance for joy.